The Hamlet Podcast, episode 50. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. This week, we reach the real turning point in the play. Dramaturgically, we might say it's the end of the ruined dinner party, or alternatively, we might say the second visit to the witches. But morally, I think, the events of this week's episode are Macbeth's point of no return. We've been set up and even seduced by the introduction of Macduff's fiery wife, furious at her husband's absence. We've had a surprising and very distracting interlude between Lady Macduff and one of her young children. The others are perhaps still too small even to talk. Smart productions often have the smallest of the Macduff babies in the mother's arms or at her breast. No sooner has this abandoned mother relaxed and laughed a little at her precocious son, we have a new entry. A messenger arrives. We get no warning of his arrival, or indeed much information about him. He says, Bless you, fair dame. I am not to you known, though in your state of honour I am perfect. I doubt some danger does approach you nearly. If you will take a homely man's advice, be not found here. Hence, with your little ones. To fright you thus, methinks I am too savage. To do worse to you were fell cruelty which is too nigh your person. Heaven preserve you. I dare abide no longer. So, trouble is imminent. This well-meaning man is not an employee of Lady Macduff. He is courteous in his greeting, saying, Bless you, fair dame but has to explain that she does not know him. I am not to you known. But, he says, he's very well aware of her status and goodness. In your state of honour, I am perfect. He seems quite nervous as he almost sidesteps the news he's brought. He fears that there may be trouble coming her way. I doubt some danger does approach you nearly. Given this urgency, why doesn't he just spit it out? He continues with his advice, but acknowledges that this is from a homely man, a man who is not a soldier, but one who is ordinary, unsophisticated perhaps. He advises Lady Macduff to get away, be not found here, to escape with her little ones. Evidently someone is coming looking for them. The messenger continues in this most polite manner, apologising for causing her this worry. He considers it savage of him. To fright you, thus methinks I am too savage. But it would have been fell cruelty to do worse, by implication to avoid telling her, and fell cruelty is imminent, perhaps too close already. To do worse to you were fell cruelty, which is too nigh your person. And now the messenger essentially runs away. He wishes Lady Macduff well, saying, Heaven preserve you. But he still leaves, insisting that I dare abide no longer. Important as this scene is, it always bugs me that not one, but two adult men have been visiting Lady Macduff, apparently with her best interests at heart, but both disappear and leave her alone with her small children. It's bad enough that Macduff himself has left, even if he's gone to England for noble reasons and the good of the country, 
but as if to compound this abandonment. Shakespeare has Ross, and now this messenger also leave the woman and her children alone. All of the imagery of vulnerable little creatures in nests is really effective here. The castle of Fife is feeling terribly desolate and vulnerable. The messenger, rather importantly, is anonymous. He, if indeed he is played by a man, does not introduce himself, and insists that he has no royal or military position, merely a homely man. We're really getting a sense that Scotland is not a happy place to be. Macduff himself is in Macbeth's bad books, and now this man is probably risking his life even trying to warn Lady Macduff of the imminent danger. Even if he doesn't stick around to try to help, at least he tried, a small but valiant action in a country so throttled with spies and suspicion. Lady Macduff doesn't know what to do. Whither should I fly? I have done no harm. But I remember now I am in this earthly world where to do harm is often laudable, to do good sometime accounted dangerous folly. Why then, alas, do I put up that womanly defence to say I have done no harm? This rueful speech is very difficult. She wonders where she could even go. Whither should I fly? Defiantly, she reminds us, or herself, that she hasn't done anything wrong. So why should anyone have a problem with her? But, she remembers, I am in this earthly world where to do harm is often laudable, to do good sometime accounted dangerous folly. This antithesis is very bleak. She resents living in a world where to do harm is what you'll be praised for, and to do good is a dangerously stupid thing to do. Or, as the witches told us many scenes ago, fair is foul, and foul is fair. So why, Lady Macduff asks, should she even bother with the womanly, perhaps desperate defence of insisting that she's done no harm? This will do her no good. Before she might have a chance even to answer this question, the stage directions tell us that some murderers enter. Intriguingly, we're not given a number. Is it the same pair we've come to know already, or is the mysterious third murderer with them? Lady Macduff concludes her own line of verse when she sees them, asking, what are these faces? It's an interesting way of asking who they are, and gives a variety of options for staging, even masking or indeed acting. A number of murderers bursting in on this woman and her children after we've heard so much discussion of their isolation, and seen two potential helpers leave her to her own devices, is a really pitiful sight. Making matters worse, the first murderer taunts Lady Macduff. By this point, everyone in Scotland probably knows the answer, but he still cruelly asks, Where is your husband? The lady manages a very dignified and passionate reply. She says, I hope in no place so unsanctified where such as thou mayst find him. Regardless of her frustration, it's still the right thing for a loyal wife to wish, that wherever Macduff is between here and England, hopefully he's nowhere so unholy or so cursed that any louts like this murderer might find him. 
We know full well that Macbeth has sent these villains, perhaps explaining the job by telling them some of his fears about Macduff. They know enough for the first murderer to announce that he's a traitor. After all the innocent discussion of traitors and liars between mother and son earlier in the scene, it's all the more heartbreaking now for the little boy to pipe up and contradict the murderer. He shouts, Thou liest, thou shag-haired villain. He knows his father is not a traitor, and that this apparently long-haired interloper is a villain. The child is, of course, unwise in announcing himself and in trying to attack. The murderer completes the line of verse, saying, What, you egg? Young fry of treachery. Calling the boy an egg again plays with this nest imagery, and eggs are easily broken. Small fry still means something or someone small and insignificant. Here, young fry of treachery means the little vulnerable baby spawn of the treacherous Macduff, as the murderer would have it. He doesn't consider the boy a threat, doesn't even bother finishing another line of verse, and stabs the child on the spot. The boy has enough breath left to cry to Lady Macduff, He has killed me, mother. Run away, I pray you. The mother, perhaps with the other, even smaller children, attempts to run, screaming murder as she exits and ends the scene. But we are left in no doubt that the castle of Fife has been surprised and that they will all be killed. This is a horrific scene, but it's supposed to be. Macbeth is a fascinating and in some ways heroic character, whose guilt and almost poetic worrying can draw us in and even make us sympathise with him, somewhat. But he's slowly been becoming more and more violent and brutal. He dithered over killing Duncan and nearly messed it up, but then he overstepped and killed the grooms, which could have gone very wrong had Duncan's sons not fled. If they hadn't, one wonders if Macbeth might have murdered them too, just to be sure. Then he arranged for Banquo's murder, since Banquo knew too much. This time he did plan to get rid of the next generation, but the murderers messed up and let Fleance escape. And this still haunts Macbeth. There's still potential for revenge when Fleance is old enough. Now that Macbeth has identified Macduff as a serious threat, he's learned his lessons, and he's taking no chances. He annihilates Macduff's entire family, eradicating any future threat. If nothing else, it will likely force Macduff to return to Scotland and confront Macbeth. And while the witch's magic told him to beware Macduff, Macbeth has no fear left, thanks to the other apparitions, that have made him believe he is invincible. The slaughter of Macduff's family is among the worst crimes in all of Shakespeare. Whatever sympathy we may have developed for Macbeth is sorely tested here. It's brutal and it is wanton and completely unnecessary. It's just cruel. Cleverly, Shakespeare seems to know that we probably don't want to see Macbeth right after this massacre. Instead, the scene now shifts to England and we get the longest scene in the whole play. It's a surprising change of tone, as well as location and even character, and it's going to take us at least five forthcoming episodes. Take a breather now that we've reached the end of this awful scene in Fife, 
and join me next time when we travel to the England of King Edward the Confessor. I'll speak to you then.